Hello, my lovely, lovely lions, and welcome to another edition of the Almond View podcast with myself, Jake Pointer, my co-host, Liam Innes. Hello there. And GIMP mass panellist, Thomas Fro, Owen Innes, and Mr. Stephen Bobby. Hello. Hello there. This week, we look back at the Lions Cup game from Saturday and discuss our moments of the match against those ruddy rovers of Wraith. We'll also be chatting to former Livingston midfield maestro Stevie Tosh as he talks all things West Lothian during his two spells with the luscious Lions. We'll also look forward to our game against the Hoopy Boys by looking back at our favourite memories from the games against those absolute weirdos, Celtic FC. So why not sprawl out on your sofa, stretch those weary legs, throw your favourite blanket over your cell, Dim the lights and listen to five gimps chat all things Livingston FC with us here at the Almond View podcast. Oh, oh, ho, oh, he's my Tedge, you know. Poplatnik scored the winning goal. Twas the night before Easter and baby Livy went hunting for eggs. The eggs of success. The eggs of cup glory. The eggs of our prey and baby we roared to success. The Lions squeezed past Braith Rovers 2-1 after extra time on Saturday in the Scottish Cup thanks to goals from Jack Fitzwater and Matt Edge Poblatnik after falling behind to a soft free kick. However, we've asked the boys to tell us their moments of the game. So, Owen, why don't you kick us off? What was your moment of the game against Wraith Rovers? I thought it was a good game from a neutral point of view. Had kind of everything that you need. Goals for both sides. Uh, good for a coupon. Uh, Robbie McCrory, what are you doing? What are you doing? That wall as well. What's that wall doing? Probably the highlight of the match for me, though, was a potentially match-winning challenge from my favourite, Jackson Longridge. Uh, that is some challenge that he put in because uh, that could easily have been 2-1 Wraith Rovers. Right at the death, game over. Uh, we could have been out the cup. Um, do I think that we deserved to, to win that game? No. I don't think that we deserve to win that game whatsoever. Uh, I think, if again, if it wasn't for extra time, a draw would have been more than a fair result, I think. Uh, but I think uh, Jackson Longridge has been absolutely solid in the last three games that he started. I don't think anyone can deny that. And, I mean, I know that a lot of people were like, what on earth are we doing signing Jackson Longridge? He can't he make it. He's shy. You know, he's he's no improved. He's barely kicked a ball for Bradford or whatever. I think uh, he's shown why Davies brought him back. And uh, so my highlight, Jackson Longridge, last-minute challenge to, to keep us in that game. Because uh, otherwise, it, it would have been 2-1. There's there's no question about that. Ah, fair enough. It's pretty hard to argue with that. Povey, what about yourself? Obviously, the highlight has got to be seeing the Amund View podcast branded all over uh, at halftime and before the game. Lovely to see. Now, um, uh, yeah, actually, to be honest, I'm like, I was listening back to our episode last week uh, and I was thinking, 
after that game, I thought, geez, I, I was pretty bang on with that prediction in terms of, I, I thought it would be like the game last season. Uh, and we went 1-0 down first half. Um, and then I'll be honest, at half time watching that on Saturday, I thought I wasn't too concerned because I was thinking our fitness would be all right. It would see us through. Mm-hmm. Um, obviously, when we did get the equaliser, yeah, I was. It was a relief because it was hitting that sort of what was it seventy minutes ago? It was. It was mm. hitting that sort of point where we needed it. Then, but once we scored, I would actually disagree. I, I, I think, I think it, it probably deserved to go to extra time. But ugh, I felt we did deserve to to win it. You know, some great, great performances. And another thing that I enjoyed about that was listening back to last week's episode. And you guys all bumming up McCrory about how great he's been. I bloody <laughs> tell you, man. As soon as you let that in, yeah, I was a hell of apology text through that. <laughs> and lastly, another bloody thing I say every week, J. Manuel Thomas, man. He did nothing. And that's against Wraith Rovers, so don't get me wrong, they're flying. But he's no a top six. He's no a, he's no a, he shouldn't be our number one striker. Like he shouldn't be up there by himself. He's no, he's no good enough for us. And whatever, yeah. Once again, I'm right about Jet. You're always right, Povey. You always have to be right, uh, Jake. <laughs> what about yourself? It was a tricky afternoon. Um, I thought they, were, I thought Wraith were great. You know, in the, in the first half, uh, really well organised. It was good. Um, I think I kind of agree with Owen. I think. Arguably, probably deserved. They deserved a draw, but yeah, obviously, great went to extra time. Um, buzzing for uh, Ploppy. I think we've been singing his praises for quite a while on the show, and I think I don't know what group chat it was. We said that he should be getting the spot ahead of Jet to give him more fitness, to give him more games, to see what he can actually do. Because that's, I mean, there's nothing better. Like it's the most basic thing for any football team when you see someone who gives absolute 110%. And even just on like social media and stuff like that, you see like he's actually really proud to be a part of the team and stuff like that. And, you know, fair enough if you're playing for fucking Rangers or Celtic, oh, I'm so proud to be here. But when you're playing for Livingston and they look like they really, really give a shit, I kind of love that. And yet, arguably kind of, you know, he seems to be happy he's here, but yeah, that's literally what Povey said. If, you know, he's not a top, top six SPL, you know, number one striker for us. Uh, I overall tough afternoon. Um, Josh Mullen made a difference, but yeah, get Ploppy starting. I think he's. Uh, I think he deserves more of a shout. Hashtag lines in the camp. <laughs> <laughs> no one's ever repeated ever. Nah, I don't know where that's come from. I absolutely adore it. Thomas, right. what about yourself? What was your moment of the match? I, I want to comment on how impressed I was with Wraith. I, I thought they looked. Really, really good, and I know a couple of you have mentioned it, but they look like a really solid team. I know they're in a good bit of form at the moment. Uh, was it four one or five one they pumped them for one a couple of weeks ago? Five one. Uh, well, five it, was one. The, it was the Tuesday. It was the midweek before. Midweek before. So you know, coming on a bit good bit of form, but I was really impressed with the way that they were moving the ball around, and in the first half, certainly, it didn't look like there was a massive golfing class, which there probably should between the two sides that being said um, 
I was glad we kind of brought ourselves back into the game a wee bit more. Uh, I think we were much better second half. First half was dreadful. Um, I was so bored watching watching that first half. And to be honest, the second half wasn't massively much more entertaining for me anyway. Uh, but we showed a bit more desire, and that I think Povey mentioned that like the fitness really carried us through, and kind of we were able to show our quality a wee bit and find that space. And you know, it's always good to see Ploppy score a goal. Um, I'll just kind of echo the sentiments of everyone up. One else, I, I think he's due a run up top. He's always impressed. He's grabbed a few goals and he shows he shows a lot of intelligence as a footballer. I think he makes the right movements, gets into the right space, um, and he really impressed me. So hopefully we'll start to see him getting into the side more, uh, kind of for the rest of the season. But no, good to good to go through. Happy with that. Tough draw next, but let's pump the the sheep. Yeah, listening to everyone. I mean, I didn't watch the game. Um, I know. Well, I had I'm other sorry. more interesting things to do. <laughs> <laughs> nah, the from, but from following it on, in particular the Livingston Twitter. I mean, Thomas and well, I think everyone's touched on it that Wraith were really good. Uh, Povey sort of mentioned that it was going to be it was similar to last season's game of Wraith, but from what I remember of that game against Wraith last season was. Wraith tried for 20 minutes and they got a goal that was it like they never they just surrendered completely 10 men behind the ball constantly we were firing balls up to their defence nothing was sticking to Dykes um, and I can't remember Wraith having any other chances whereas this Wraith Rovers team looked like that they were playing a wee bit more silky football they were like they were on the ascendancy in particular in the um, the first half, from what I could see. Uh, looking back at the highlights, obviously there was only about 20 seconds worth of highlights from Livingston's NASA satellite camera on the BBC. Uh, I thought Jack Fitzwater's goal, I thought he took it really well and he's becoming a bit of a John Guthrie of... I, I don't really remember the Walsall fans thing saying, oh, this boy's pish, this boy's pish, but... We weren't that enamoured with him at the start of the season, but you can tell that he's getting a real sort of boost in confidence from playing. Because that's the thing, he was in and out of the team. It was between him and Effie Ambrose because uh, Martindale hates having two players with the like a left footer at both sides of centre half. Um, so yeah, I think he's been an upgrade on Effie Ambrose in particular the second half of the season. He's still a wee bit raw, he's still a wee bit young, but nah, I'm, he was probably my moment in the match. I think he was, um, he's come on to a game recently. And yeah, another important goal in a cup competition because he scored, what, two against Ayr in the first knockout of the League Cup. Could be on our way to another final, boys, you never know. Uh, <laughs> I will touch on Robbie McCrory because obviously I wasn't watching the game. I seen Twitter going into meltdown saying it was a horrendous goal and I was like, nah, it won't be as bad as what folk are saying. It's just because it's me, Robbie McCrory. Fuck me, man. <laughs> <laughs> what is he doing? <laughs> like, 
I mean, fair enough, I think Owen touched on the wall. I think one of the players in particular, I think it might have been Sybil, completely shits it. And he's the one that breaks the wall. I think the only sort of defence is that McCrory's expecting it to be whipped in rather than a shot on goal, but that was it was pretty much a carbon copy of Dundee United's goal at Tannadice, if you remember uh, that. I was just about to say that, you know. This isn't the first free kick he's let in like that, you know. Mm. This is uh, that was carbon copy, as you say, and um, you know, it, uh, yeah, I can't believe you're defending him by trying to talk about the wall, like you know, no, nah, <laughs> like he's letting that, he's letting these like absolute howlers in, like it was poor and hundred percent, but again, there could have been a wee bit more done in the wall. I think Owen, I think it was also because uh, Lewis Vaughn scored a free kick against Dunfermline and I think as from what I heard it was a carbon copy of the goal he scored against Dunfermline so it's like if you're analysing that match before you go and play you know you analyse the last game that they played and then you find out that that same player has done exactly the same thing to two games in a row not even a week apart you're ex- you should be expecting that to be happening if McCrory's standing centre of the goal he saved it but he's standing closer to the fucking corner flag than he is to the fucking middle of the goal. But one thing that did concern me was their cross-field balls from the right-hand side out to the left-hand side. We were mm. essentially playing two at the back. If yeah. See if that Jamie Gullen had any more pace or they had a player with actual pace on that left-hand side, mm-hmm. we would have been three, four down by even 15, 20 minutes into the game. We would have been three or four down. Jamie Gullen was through on goal three times. Jack Fitzwater, fair enough to him got back and covered it because Gullen shot himself, basically. He always he was always looking for the cutback rather than taking a shot. Um, but yeah, that, that really concerns me is the fact that we have that Devlin is now playing so far up to the point where it left that whole right-hand side of our defence, left-hand side of their attack, completely wide open. And they knew that. They knew that Devlin was going to be basically standing in the opposing 18-yard box. It, it was concerning that that was happening at the weekend. Um, but I don't see that happening much more for the rest of the season. I don't see us playing like that every like week in, week out. Um, we were clearly trying to take the game to them a wee bit, which is fine. Uh, but I just can't see us doing that again with the games that we've got left. We, to be fair, it's been something that we've been banging on about for a while is to try to get the, the wing-backs higher up the park. We've been saying, let's get the boys further up, ha- add their attacking threat. And you are going to get caught out occasionally, but I just can't see us doing it constantly against a Rangers or a Selic or a Hibs. Maybe against Aberdeen because they're shite, but... Aye. Um, I was going to touch on McCrory, and this can probably be cut, but I think he's trying to be too clever. I think he's... And it's something that goalkeepers do a lot, because they always... It's the same for free kicks, at, like, more direct free kicks outside the box. It frustrates the hell out of me. They have this massive amount of space who, you know, a lot of players can just put the ball into. They still need to kind of have a, hit a good free kick to get it in, but they just leave so much space, and it was so obvious what he was going to do from the way that it was set up, so obvious that he was putting it in that corner. And fair play to him, he's like, hit it well, but just... Not that well. No, but, like, 
Oh. It's just back to basics, right? Like, mm. aye, it, it's frustrating for me, but it seems to be a common theme with goalkeepers. So, with that risk of Devlin, he actually he's he set up the Platnik goal. You know, it was uh, without that risk, we wouldn't have, we wouldn't have got the goal to get us through. So, mm. I, I, I I agree with the points you say basically there. You know, uh, if we can cover cover that space, Devlin is lethal like up there. I think uh, I know uh, Owen, you say his delivery is not great in that, but he has set up a lot of like opportunities for us by sort of being up there, you know. We are now joined by former midfield maestro of the Lions. He won the first division title, was a part of the squad that finished third in the Premier League, went away for a bit only to reappear to bag another Amber Black winner's medal, winning the third division title in 2010. Ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls, by golly gosh, we've got him. It's Mr. Steve Tosh. Hey. How are we doing, Steve? You all right? Yeah, very well. I've never heard that one before. Golly gosh, it's Steve Tosh. So, uh, <laughs> that was original. I'll, uh, it's got to go to Liam. He loves these things. Again, these scripts going. <laughs> you can see by his face, he loves it. <laughs> <laughs> right, okay, we're going to go straight into our quick fire quiz. Okay, Steve, are you ready? I'll try. Okay, salt and sauce or salt and vinegar? Salt and vinegar. Almond Vale or Pataudry? Almond Vale, I should say. <laughs> Wilson or Bingham? Wilson. Beer or cider? Beer. Leishman or hay? Hay. Hay or Gary Bolin? Bob was my mate, but no, hay. <laughs> <laughs> Lovell or Kino? Kino was a top man. Betting horses or betting on football? No, I love to bet football, aren't we? So betting horses. Beautiful. McFadden's or Gemmell's goals for Scotland? Gemmell's. Andrews or Rubio? Oh, Big Marv. Or McDonald's or KFC? <laughs> oh, definitely McDonald's. <laughs> Spot on. Class. Okay, let's, uh, let's just get stuck, stuck into it. So you started your professional career with a broth before spells with St. Johnson and your hometown club, Wraith Rovers. And whilst playing for the Rovers, you start, uh, starred in a 4-0 win against Livingston at Ammonville. And then Daddy Leishman got his checkbook out to sign you for the Lions pretty much immediately. So when did you learn about the move and how did it come about? First of all, I thought it was 4-1. I didn't realise it was 4-0. So, uh, <laughs> it, I guess what happened was we played on the, we played on the Saturday and uh, yeah, it went obviously a great victory for us at, at Wraith. Probably unexpected. And went back training the next week and then played the following week, if I remember right. And it wasn't until the following Thursday so a week and a half later, mm. we're in the dress room at uh, Stars Park on the Thursday morning and Kenny Black, the assistant manager, had basically come in and told myself, Alec Burns and Marvin to stay behind. Uh, which wasn't uh, strange for myself because I used to see me being Jackie O's or Disco and Kirkcaldy every Wednesday night and I was in. <laughs> I'd been banned out the Disco for about three years or four years, so I'm so sure how I was there, but... <laughs> But when I seen that Marvin was obviously left behind and uh, we toasted Alec Burns, you know, we sat in the dressing room, boys left for training. Peter came in and he basically just told us that we're told that a club had put in a bid for the three us and that it had been accepted, but he couldn't tell us who it was, couldn't tell us 
Ben would find out, and basically it was there anywhere we could go in the meantime, because he had to go and take training. So, yeah, he went to training. We went up to my house in Kirkcaldy, me, Marvin, and, and we, Alex, and we sat there for about three or four hours. We never had a clue we, where I was talking about, I wonder who it can be. Uh, so we had no clue whatsoever. And then we got the phone call about back in two in the afternoon to tell us to meet uh, up hall at uh, Houston House. Uh, about, I think we were meeting there at half four. So we left, probably left Kirkcaldy about back at three, half three, headed across and headed to Houston Hall. Still weren't told who it was until we arrived at uh, Houston House and there was the bold leash with his GRU and car and uh, that was it. That was the first I was realising. So then we, then we headed, we followed leash across to uh, Almond Vale. I believe it was because if leash wasn't getting the three us, if Livingston weren't getting the three us, they weren't taking any us. And they didn't want it to come out that it was being agreed because they thought then other clubs would come in. And, and you know, with Pitt myself, they'd come in more for likes of Big Marv or Alex, and the Wraith couldn't risk that. So, yeah, it was the first us here, and was probably about half four that afternoon. Were you excited, the prospect of joining Livingston? And can you see us flying towards promotion at that point? Yeah, I guess excited that <clears throat> when a move comes on the cards, you're always. There's excitement and trepidation, worry, concern, you know, because uh, you get used to being where you are. I was a Kirkcaldy boy. I hadn't moved out of Kirkcaldy, you know, when I played at Perth. Obviously, I just travelled that 30 minutes. So when Livingston came in for us, you know, we were very aware that what Livingston were looking to achieve, who they'd bought in in the summer. Uh, so, yeah, it was, it was an exciting time, obviously, to join the football club. And my thought process was that, I was joining the, the league champions to be, you know, I wasn't like, and I was just saying it now, but I had a discussion with the chairman when I first originally joined and there was some disturbing thought process that if we hadn't got promotion, you still got a 10% wage rise. And I was, all due respect, you can stick your wage rise if we don't get promotion because if this team doesn't get promotion, there's, there's something wrong. And I think the chairman thought I had about two or three heads and he, he actually then took me aside and he said, we're then meant to get a, a larger percentage of your uh, basic wage if, if we did get promotion. So he actually increased mines even further because I guess he's seen somebody that just, it just that was maybe stupid by turning down money for nothing, but I just couldn't understand how we weren't going to win the league. So yeah, it was a, it was a good time to join Livy and it was some fantastic times then for the next 18 months. The season you joined would obviously be there, uh, up there with one of the best ever at the club. Um, but did any games in the first division um, kind of stick out for you that you knew when that the Premiership was only kind of a matter of time? Probably no. <laughs> it's strange because you play that many games. I guess the one that sticks out the most was the, the Championship winning game up in Inverness. Uh, and then the travel back down the road, that's probably blotted my mind for whatever I can remember prior to that. So, no, it was, it was listening. I guess we just had a... The fantastic thought process the fact that, the living, that I guess wasn't a part of the championship winning teams, but I guess going to Petodre and thumping them, the 6 1 6 2 game, and then beating them as well, the Scottish Cup after a replay. But that wasn't much to do with the, the league campaign. The league campaign just seemed to, we just seemed to go for week to week. We had, we had our ups and downs, we got beat times, but on a general rule of thumb, if we got beat one week, we just we knew we'd get back on the horse and probably win the week after, but I guess aye, the one that sticks in mind probably going up to Inverness, it was never an easy place to go to, uh, 
very good football club, very good football team, but, you know, we went up there and I think Ayr were playing, were Ayr playing in the, were they playing in the Scottish Cup that day or something? And I think we won and that won us the, that won us the league that day. So, no, that was a, that was a good trip and it was probably as good by looking at your faces, it didn't look cold enough, but it certainly was good for us in the way back down the road. I don't know if it was good enough. You touched on uh, the game at Inverness, which we clinched uh, 3-2 away, uh, with yourself having a goal bizarrely ruled out for offside. Uh, what was the game, uh, what was the build-up like before the game? We've had some mental stories about uh, Leash and Hay and from your other teammates. Is there, is there anything they did slightly differently before that game to get you up for it? I don't know, is there? I can't, again, you know, it's, what, 2001? 2001, is it? So, uh, it would have been. Uh, 20, years, 20 years ago, as you can see, I'm fat, I'm uh, So the, the grey cells probably, I, I, I don't think so. If I remember right, we probably travelled up on the Friday night, we stayed at, I dare say we stayed at the King's Mills in Inverness and probably went, went about our business the same as what we normally do. Again, some of the boys have maybe told you stories. I, I, I like. I remember going back down the road more than what I remember coming back coming up the road. So, <laughs> uh, uh, so no, I, 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 I'd be t- truth is, I'd be, I'd be telling a, I'd be telling a lie uh, if I thought any preparations were any different. As I say, there's obviously stories there that people have potentially shared with you, but I, nothing that, nothing that I can recollect. Uh huh. Okay, we're going to go see if we can go back into memory lane again a wee bit more. So, uh, David Bingham and Barry Wilson uh, told us stories uh, of the end of season holiday that year. One about you uh, feigning an injury with a moon boot to get preferential treatment in a bar. And another about Wilson being put to bed by two Spanish polis before sneaking back out immediately. That was the man for him. I that was a year after, was it? That was a year after. He thought he'd be Baz isn't the bravest. He's my best mate. We still, you know, we we still go away on holidays yet. Uh huh. the story about the so at the end of the season, obviously we went to Magaluth. Uh-huh. Uh, it was a bit of a riot. I remember. I remember we we kind of travelled for two different airports, Edinburgh and obviously Glasgow, because mm-hmm. the the, the Weejis just refused to travel through Edinburgh full stop for anything. Never mind. But. <laughs> I'm surprised they actually come through for games at times, but I remember, <laughs> I remember we arrived in a. I remember we arrived at the hotel in Palmanova, I think it was, just around the corner, and we're just. That was when it was Pesetas as well, but I'm sure it was Pesetas, and we're just walking around the pool, and Bingy was in, inside him, and I, I nudged him right into the pool with <laughs> all his gear on, his, his, his money, his passport, everything. Everything went in and new. As you know, with Bingy, he's the most aggressive man you'll ever meet in your life, yeah. you know. And it was funny as hell because Bingy thought it was hilarious that I'd pushed him in the pool, but he held these two bottles of beer up. So he had to, because <laughs> I, I never spilled a drop. Then he realised that he had every single bit of money he took with him in his pocket and he had his passport as well. So you can imagine then he came out and he wasn't too happy. Uh, <laughs> But with regards to the moon boot, what had actually happened is we played Clyde the last game of the season. Mm-hmm. I think the they beat us maybe. I, I, I think we are still pissed for earlier on that week. And uh, <laughs> and Barry got injured. Barry actually got injured. No, me, Barry got injured and he, we were winding him up that he wasn't going to get. So the physio who went with us, Michael McBride, stuck him on, as you say, one of the moon boots and we travelled and we got to the hotel 
and we go mangled and uh, one <laughs> one day and it was I'm I'm an early riser. I'd go up about eight o'clock in the morning and I'd started drinking and doing it at the pool and then Bingy got up next and he joined me and then the boys started to come up. So by the time some of them got up at lunchtime, me and we Bingy were we were we had a charge on. So we went to a few bars and meant to get some to eat because they were just starting out by this time me and Bingy was six sheets to the wind. So they put us in a taxi home. So me and Bingy went back to the hotel, seemed like to sleep it off. We went into the same room, the same bed. We done spoons, and within five minutes we were back up. And I seen I spotted Barry's moon boot because I shared. I was sharing with Marvin, which was a joy. Marv doesn't drink, and I'm just the worst ever. And it's Barry and Bingy, and uh, so I thought it would be hilarious to wear this moon boot. And me and Bingy then decided to go and try and find them, and we end up in a uh, what was it? Was it the winning line or something it's called? It's a bookies in Magaluf. Two, de- two degenerate gamblers together that are pissed, isn't it? A good, a good makeup. So we went in and it was busy. It was really, really busy. So I had this moon boot on and all felt sorry for us. So they created space at a table. They served us all afternoon our drink table service. We got the slip sent across so we could put our bets on. We never had to do a bit. And then about four hours later, got up. I took the moon boot off and we walked out the door like nothing else had happened. So we called a few few names in and obviously Barry was panicking more because his moon boot that he should have been wearing and he was meant to take back to the football club was left in a, a bar and could maybe still possibly be in the same bar in Magaluf somewhere. So yeah, that was a, that was a moon boot story. So I myself and myself and David were a bit uh, a bit worse for wear. So the following season was our first in the top flight in Scotland. And we had a turnover of players that seemed to reach kind of the hundreds. Was there any that came in pre-season that you saw and immediately thought that guy's a player? Kino, best player, one of the best players I've ever played with. Kino was just we had David Fernandez already, and David was just amazing. You know, you had you had Rubio, uh, and we had I know it would have been David and uh, Javi Sanchez Broto was saying when I fired the season before. Uh, and then Branquan had come in again, fantastic, great pro. Uh, you know, we added some, we had some good additions. You know, with some bad ones as well. But Kino, Kino for me, and you know, playing in my position or, or the, we're not the same type of players. We're certainly, certainly a bit different. But playing in that same position, somebody that you would potentially was going to take my place, I didn't care. I just seen this boy in training. I just thought, wow. Absolute wow. And he was just he was a fantastic guy as well. And he was the one for me. I'd done a thing recently, I think, where on a, a, a medium like this, where it was uh, asking my best ever players I'd played with. Kino was in there 100%. He just, he had something that Livingston's probably never had since and never will have again. There have been people that's maybe thought about that like them, but this guy could keep up. As I say, this guy used to be able to keep the ball in a phone box. That's how good he was. You know, he just wouldn't give it away. He just, his legs hadn't went. He was a great athlete. And nah, I'd say Kino. Uh, but the rest mm-hmm. of them, I guess the greatest thing about the likes of Kino and some of these guys, David, that come in and some of the other ones is they just bought into the ethos and the thought process straight away. You know, there was no prima donnas and anyone that come in that was... Thought they were maybe go back a bit, bit prima donna were soon knocked down to size. Uh, and I, I, I can honestly say that that year and at that football club was something unique and, and special that everybody 
was hoping that we're going to win on a Saturday, whether you're playing or not. And that's, believe it or not, you will speak to a lot of people and a lot of people will say that happens all the time. No, it doesn't. It? There's always people that are sitting up the stands hoping to get their place back, hoping for a, a bad performance. No, no hoping for a bad performance. I don't think anybody, but hoping that they get their place back however they can get. With that Livingston team, we just wanted to win. And we all fought for each other. And, it, and I think that's why the club, the season after, even though they won, you've won the cup, I, I don't think the club was ever the same again. You know, mm-hmm. I, I really do think that that year was probably, you know, and I take my heart off to Davey and whatever, what they're doing this year. Uh, but no, that 2002-2003 that season, by 2001-2002, I think it was, is, uh, it was just something amazing. It was, it was absolutely brilliant and it still, still gives me great pleasure yet that I was obviously part of that. I mean, touching on that season, uh, I mean, we've discussed it loads of times amongst ourselves and loads of times with a couple of your ex-teammates. Um, I mean, we had four wins against Hearts, beat Rangers, held Celtic to a nil-nil draw at home. But again, like similar to the question before, like was there any game in that season that you've won and you thought, right, relegations, nowhere near, we're absolutely smashing this and we're going to try and just finish as high as we can? I guess we started this. Uh, the heart story is a great story, and I didn't want to tell you about the heart story. No, Gary Locke. We, we, Gary Locke. Gary Locke bought us a, bought us drinks in Magaluf because he claimed that was going to be four easy bonuses a year after. He was told in nonsense terms when we bet on that last game of the season, and we'd had four. He wasn't bought a drink back. Put it that way, you know. So <laughs> uh, again, first game of the season to beat Hearts, you know, and we just kept runs going. We just and, and again, going back to the season before, whatever blips we had, we just seemed to, again, pick it up again. One of the ones that sticks in my mind was the 3-2 defeat at Parkhead on Boxing mm. Day when Henrik scored in the last minute. And, you know, I think the fact, just the fact, and I know folk will say, is he mental that he's talking about defeat? But the fact that we went to Parkhead and were everybody as good as, good as them that day, I know uh, Valharan got sent off with about 10 minutes to go, but... And the fact that it just summed us up that year that we weren't sitting in ex- waiting on a 2-0 draw. We were going for a 3-2 win and that's how we got caught, you know. And it, it was just... We, it, again, I keep saying for a teamwork and thought process, it was great. I think other ones that stick in my mind is defeats again. Uh, Livingst- uh, Aberdeen 3-0, third last game of the season. Got back on the bus, Aberdeen. I was giving a cup of crates of beer. It looked like that was just going to finish in, in fourth. And we, you know, I remember Leash put the bus into Stonehaven and stopped at Stonehaven for about an hour. And uh, again, master stroke in, in the sense of he just basically told us, You've over exceeded our expectations. You've been great. Have a drink on me. We did for an hour. I think the Aberdeen fans that were in the pub that day must have been thinking, What the hell's going on here? You've just been thumbed 3 0. We came down the road and we went back into training on Monday and we realised that they had Rangers and Celtic to play. We had Dunfermline and Hearts, so we, I'll tell you what we did, we're five points behind, we'll take it into the second last week of the season. We, we thumped Dunfermline, I think 4-1 or something like that, at Almond Vale. Mm-hmm. Uh, Rangers beat Aberdeen, we know, we know Rangers aren't going to get the Aberdeen any favour, isn't it? So all of a sudden we're two points behind going into the last game and we go to Tynecastle and Again, for boys like yourselves that were probably going to the games at the time, you know, and it just must have been great. You go that 
last game and it's it's like a cup final and and, and we never, again without being funny, we never let you down. We never let you down that for two years in a row and we mm. we win and but you come off and you hear that Sean Maloney scored for and you finish third and we all went out in Edinburgh that night. It was a great night because I think we all realised that that was the that was the end. Uh, and so it was two days later when we then we all went into Almond Vale and it was like the Green Mile when you got called along to the dress room and uh, the, the manager's room and told what, what the story was. And I, majority of us knew what was going to be happening because we're, we weren't away behind years. But it was just sad. It was sad the way it, it Sad for the likes of myself that you didn't get a chance because that, that would have been the ideal time. I know we'll talk about when I came back, but I wasn't the same player when I came back. It wasn't the same club when I came back. So, you know, that was when we should have been given that luxury of saying goodbye to fans that supported us through. The words are thick and thin, but it hadn't been very, very much of that. But, you know, we should have been able to, we should have been able to get the accolades and adulation of the fans that we probably quite rightly deserved. And we should have been able to pay that back to you guys as well for the support we'd received. And I guess that was probably, and I've said it to Leash's face, it was the only thing that stuck in my throat when I, when I left Livingston, if I'm being honest. The end of that season, you went moved on to Falkirk. So, like you said, obviously it was a bit of a, a green mile moment of just getting your name called and finding out whether or not you were staying or going. But I mean, considering that you were such a massive part of getting us from the first division up to the Premier League and finishing third, which is just unheard of. I mean, it's essentially winning the league for the other teams in the league. Um, so, I so like we just a bit miffed that you never had the chance to represent us in Europe and sort of see how, like, if we could go another stage further. Like, was that just a bit of a I disappointed no, to leave in that thing. No, because I kind of so basically, and and Leash could tell you differently, but if we if you look at both the whites of our eyes, you'll know what one's telling the truth and what one's not. But I was offered a two-year contract, uh, and I accept it. Uh, and then I was my agent had phoned me and I says, "I no problem. Never asked for any more money. I'm not, I've never been like that. You know, I was happy where I was. I was loving loving my life at the time. I'd." You know, just before I joined Livingston, my, my ex-wife had given birth to her daughter. Uh, so I, I was in a good place. And then I, I remember it was at New Year. We're heading across, in fact, I actually think it was New Year's Day. We're heading across the fourth road bridge. Uh, and I got a phone call from my agent basically saying that the two-year deal was now a one-year deal. And I'd said, well, look, I'm not taking a one-year deal. I was still young enough at the time where I thought a two-year deal was... You know, it was, I was worthy, and I don't, I didn't understand as to why it had been taken off the table. And then, I was, so my agent went back, and we never heard nothing. And then I always remember we went away to Carnoustie uh, on one of our trips. We went away to Carnoustie, and we ended up up in Davy Hay and Leash's suite on the top floor of the hotel. And we, but you know, it was great. The, the, the camaraderie and that. So we're all sitting, we're having a drink. And I think it was George McNeil, the sprint coach, asked me why I hadn't signed my new contract, and I basically said, "Well." It's, as far as I know, it's not on the table and I'm not signing a one-year deal. And David Hay, Brown, David Hay turned and said, so what's the problem, Steve? And I says, well, it was maybe two-year, David. David says, right, if I offer you a two-year deal just now, will you accept? Aye, of course I would. Never heard nothing again until I went into the, uh, the office the Tuesday after that Sunday game to be told that the deal was no longer, there was no deal on the table and that I was the, basically leaving the football club. And as I say, I knew from, I think it was March, we were away at uh, Carnoustie, or say February, March. I knew then that 
it was never going to come. And and but I'd like to think that I didn't I didn't change my attitude or my application, and that still meant as much to me as to the guys that were going to be staying. And you know, it was, as I say, that was the only thing that I could really say was disappointing. Uh, and not the club, just Leash being Leash. Leash a good guy, but Leash is no backbone. Wouldn't he, wouldn't want if couldn't he face anybody up in office. He wouldn't want to fight with you. You know, he he, would want, he wants to be everybody's pal. So hence the reason it was a lot easier for him to. Again, it was a lot easier for Leash to release us on the Tuesday after the game because if he'd released us, if he told you that myself, David Bingham, and certain others were getting let go at the end of the season, six, seven weeks before the season finished, I dare say there would have been a bit of pressure on from fans. So, mm-hmm. but that was that was a true story. It wasn't like I left. It wasn't like I was. And going back to the the season after, was I disappointed? No, particularly. I'm I'm the type of guy that takes things. And Rogues were the bottom line is I knew the minute I walked out the door at Almondvale that I wasn't going to be playing in the European game, so why worry about it? You know, I, yeah, I, I just couldn't concern myself about it. So I still wanted them to do well. I still had obviously friends at the football club, but uh, no, I didn't. I, I've, I've never looked back and thought I wish I'd done this or I wish I'd done that. I I like to think I am who I am, and that's why I'd like to think that I'm respected. From I tend to be respected by the, the team the fans of the teams I play for, but it would be hated by the, the fans of the teams that I play against. So <laughs> if that's a good thing or a bad thing. But I I am who I am and I'm I'm I never changed it in my, my football career and I'm certainly not going to change it now, hence the reason I told you it's a it's an open book. You left us to join Falkirk briefly and you had a really successful stint up in Aberdeen. Um and then you sort of shocked the Scottish footballing world, I guess, by joining Gretna, who were in the uh, third division, I think, at the time. Um, the one I. Who themselves, who would, they would go on a rapid rise through the leagues as well. Scottish Cup final, UEFA Cup appearance. Um, then after, you moved to Queen of the South, another Cup final, another uh, European appearance. So in terms of those sort of two, like the journeys for the two teams were completely different. Gretna sort of a wee bit more like Livingston, where they were sort of financially backed. Um, but I mean, playing in sort of two cup finals, relatively close to each other. Obviously, it was unfortunate that you went on to lose them both. But what was that like, sort of representing quote we teams essentially in the biggest stage in Scottish football? Well, the best bit to tell you to start with, we'll go through a couple of things. The best thing to tell you is when we're on our golf holidays. I know he gets to go with us now, but Barry Wilson's dad, Bobby, used to come with us. And I used to wind Bobby up that I've, I've been in three semi-finals. I've made two finals and one that I got beaten, and Barry was in the team that I got beaten. And Barry's played in a few other semis when they've got beaten. So, you know, Bobby doesn't <laughs> take it too well with regards to that. So, you know, I guess I guess the two semi... You know, playing the semi-final with Livingston and get... You know, let's be honest, we got thumped that day 3-0 by a very good Hibs team. No, you know, there wasn't a... There's no other way to talk about it. It wasn't like we didn't do ourselves proud. We just were up against a better team in the day. So yeah. I guess the next semi-final I played Dundee with Gretna. Very much a likeness. You know, we, we were a, they were a good first division team, but we were champions elect to the second division at the time. We, we beat them three now, ironically enough. And then again, we, we love it. We Queen of South to go and beat Aberdeen, probably one of the greatest semi-finals of all time. Yeah. <laughs> uh, and then you go into the finals, you know, I think I was 34 and 
33, 34, and 36 or something at the time. So you never expect to make these. These, uh, I never had a great record apart from the time when we got to the semi-11s. And so it wasn't something, that, wasn't something that I used to strive for. I think you used to think, well, if we got there, great. But I also look upon myself as a winner in both finals. You know, going back to the Livingston finishing third in the league, it's like winning the, the league. We played Hearts, you know, who I think had finished second that year in the Premier League or whatever, but we finished that. We played Hearts and we took them to penalty kicks. We played Rangers two years later who'd played in the UEFA Cup final 10 days beforehand against Zenit St. Petersburg and we lost 3-2. You know, let's be honest, you play the games 100 times over, we're never taking hearts to penalties again and we're never getting beat just 3-2. So we came off there feeling like winners. We've not got the winners' medals to show for it, but you know there'll be occasions. Uh, I scored in the the goal. I scored the goal uh, against Rangers uh, to get Queens back in the game. And again, the way I see it, for my son, for my daughter, family members, and you know, I, I guess a wee bit for myself. But now that you look at it, but grandkids, further down, that's that's history book stuff. You know, I'm I'm, mm. a, I'm a I'm a boy for a Kunso estate in Kirkcaldy that. Played with boys that were probably everybody as good as me, if no better. But I was lucky enough to, as you say, playing two Scottish Cup finals, seven league winners' medals, scored a goal, played in Europe, played against some of the best players that the world's even produced. Never mind, just so I look upon everything as a a plus and a bonus, you know. So fantastic occasions, two different occasions. Gretna, Brooks was fantastic. Really nice guy. The manager was a pillock, the, uh, an absolute pillock. You know, made us wear couch. We had five of the starting, I think five of the starting lineup were English, and they had to wear couch to the cup final. So, nothing against getting your own teams up, their backs up straight away. You know, and that, he was just a clown, there, man, standing there in the sidelines with his full regalia on. As we, we, we honestly, <laughs> we got the thing. They played the lot. We got, we got couch. Swearing it, we got couch, brand new couch, Gretna Tartan, beautiful couch. I wore it from the hotel. I got into the uh, ground, I took it off, and I put my, it's, never, it's never seen the cold light of day again. You know, and it, it just typical. We, we, went out, we went out in Glasgow at night, and we, we were stopping him getting into bars because we didn't want to be associated with him. I swear on that. We went out in Glasgow at night, and he's phoning some of the players, where he is. And we're in the social, and I was like, I didn't tell him. Didn't tell him. Stand outside with his couch, the one, and played and that. And some of the some fans were like, "Is that your manager?" And we're like, it's "Fuck all to do with us, by the way. Nothing to do with us, you know." So, man was a clown. And and and, uh, but you know, for great that itself, what what an achievement! Fantastic, loved that. Uh, between yourself was something special because Dumfries, uh, you know, it's history. There's a football club there, uh, and just. I, was, I stayed in there. I moved, when I moved to Aberdeen to Gretna, uh, I went and bought a house in Dumfries. Uh, and obviously I moved in there. So then to go for Gretna, take Queens, and to then take, you know, so I, I, I reveled in everything that they were doing, the lead up to the cup final and, and everything that went with it. Because obviously, you know, my daughter was at school by then. So taking her to school and you were, you know, it was, it was something special seeing it firsthand. Uh, and it was a great occasion, as I say. Uh, we six of us actually six six of us actually went to the UEFA Cup final the Wednesday the Wednesday before six of us went down to Manchester so uh, I'll not tell you what six only three of us had tickets and I was one of them put it that way so <laughs> and then we played them ten days later but no great great occasions brilliant and as you say you know for Livy fans and I don't know if you've got to Europe for the Queen of the South fans in particular they thought that managed to go on that one trip to Denmark 
I take mm. my heart off to them. They must that, that's a memory that they'll have forever more. No, hundred percent. Um I mean quickly briefly you mentioned that you scored in the, the Queen of the South final. Uh, are you the only player in Scottish Cup history to score with your boss in a cup final? So I believe I believe a lot of players are probably scored with their boss now after a cup final, but I think I'm the only one. <laughs> oh, so I, I, I think yeah, I think what is it they say it's come off some part of anatomy. Aye. <laughs> so, yeah. It's one of the things like, you know, we're two 0 doing at half time and Chiz came in and basically Chiz was a fantastic manager and just said even if we get beat 10 now the day, you will not have let me do it. But he's letting yourselves do He's letting people do that haven't seen you all season. He's a better than that. Mm-hmm. Put the second half. Don't lose the second half. Thought process right now. Now you've come off 2 0. You know, you're disappointed. You get your medal. I was luckier than the re- some of the rest of them because I'd played in a final before. So I'd probably experienced the low of losing, even though, as I say, you felt like winning. So I'd experienced going into the dress room. Or, or stand on the pitch, get your medal, watch another club. So probably more ready for it than the rest. But that second half, or, or that, that eight minutes of the second half, and I'll live with me forever more. And I'll, I've always said this, and I'll say it again. I've never, ever wanted to be used, guys. I've never, ever, ever wanted to be a fan rather than a player. I've always wanted to be the player rather than the fan. I would, I think, get my goal, but there's something I would... If I could have just swapped it for two seconds to be in that crowd when Jimmy's header went in, I, I just couldn't imagine what that must have been like. You know that some of these guys, some of these, some of these guys and girls that were at the game, actually missed both goals because they went for a pee and a pie, and by the time they come <laughs> back, they never thought we'd back to two all. I could just imagine somebody walking down the stairs, a hand in half pitched, and looking up at the scoreboard and seeing it saying two all. Must have thought their eyes were playing tricks on them because, <laughs> and it, we did. We ran out of steam. We we were uh, done in. We hadn't played. Everybody says, but Rangers had had these games. But we hadn't played for over a month. Mm. It just you know it's like your first game in pre-season. You you know what you want to do. You, your legs are so much there. But I think adrenaline got us through for the first bit. But no, it was a fantastic occasion. Uh, just was obviously wasn't it be but. I say, I, I think they, for, for fans' experiences and stuff like that, they, that eight minutes in the second half must have been something special for the, the Queen's fans. Coming back to when you returned to Livingston, so in January 2010, it was announced that you and Joe Hamill were doing the old switcheroo with Joe leaving Livingston to go on loan to Queen's, and then we were getting yourself in as pretty much a direct uh, replacement. Obviously, that's probably not unusual in football, but like, how did that situation come about? Like, Was it Livingston that approached you, or was it Queen's that approached Joe, and then you said, oh, I'll go to Livingston as a sort of swap? So how did that move sort of come about? Listen, it should never have come about. No, I, I, like, Gary was my roommate. Me and Gary actually had uh, a share and a horse together and everything like that. You know, we were, we were really pally, and he done me a favour. He seen I, I was at rock bottom. I'd broke my leg uh, in uh, September, I think, against Rangers, and I'd actually been told I'd never play again. And you know, I, I wasn't accepting it. Uh, I never told anybody. The surgeon says you're done. You know, so I went away and I done my. You know, I went away and I basically took it, took it on the chin. 
kept it quiet, uh, went through the leg break. That was, wasn't the leg break wasn't a bad thing. That was just six, six to eight weeks. It was the manco ligament. You've got the ligament. You've got your bone sting. Uh, your ligament sting to the bone either side. Mine said come off one side, stuck on the other side, and yeah, it was pretty horrific. And but I was just my character. I, I decided that I wasn't going to let football retire me. I was going to retire for football. So I remember I was I got my stuki off. After about eight weeks, I started doing a bit of training. Honestly, I was running like Kaiser Soze. You've not seen nothing like this. It was just, you know, I had the worst limp ever. And we actually came up to, I, could, I was basically we were training. And if it was nine versus nine, Chiz would put me in his extra man, 10. So I was playing for either team. And just me, I was just trying my hardest running about, but I had the worst limp ever. And we came up and uh, we had a bounce game against Livia, the, the Astro at Almond Vale. And Chiz put me on with about 10 minutes to go. And he took me after he took me to the side. He says, "Look, you know, you're, you're I can't play you. You, 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 you can't. You're, you're trying, but you can't get about the part. You can't do this." And he says, "But I've spoke." Gary says he he wants you. Gary says that he would take you because he wants just a wee bit of experience in the middle part with David Sinclair and Foxy was quite young. I think Foxy played a few games, but again, Foxy was younger. At, like say Hearts but he never really played much games and that so he just wanted a bit of experience and I think I don't know if there was an issue with Joe or, or, or whatever it was and, you know I didn't know Joe so I'm, I'm not going to say uh, but I think Joe was then used I don't know if I don't know if Chiz said well we'll take Joe Hamor but I, don't, I really don't know the circumstance but mm-hmm. I spoke to Gary and I says look Gary you know he says look bottom line Gary actually says me stand in the centre circle and just direct them they'll do all the run, you're running for you he says I just want you in there to basically be my my guy on the park no no, he snatched but I mean like you know his older pro because Rob, Robbie was there but Robbie's quieter you know Robbie just goes and does his stuff big hammy and I says right no bother and I remember coming up I remember getting I was subbed the first game on a Tuesday night and I remember getting stuck on and I made a run into a box and I think I just about scored and, and uh, I thought wow and I've got to be honest, the physio at the time was a South African guy. If it wasn't for him, I probably would have just walked out after a couple of weeks. His rehab was just out of this world. I think he'd previously worked with a rugby team or whatever in South Africa and he'd seen these type of injuries. And I'd go in an hour before training every day, stay up after training and just work on stuff. And, you know, I scored a goal at, at Albion Rovers at Clifton Hill and it, it mm. was just special for me because what, as I say, what people didn't realise is they've been told that you weren't going to play again, something that you love and you cherish. And then to, for my last goal to be against Albion, that didn't matter to me. You know, I, I, I it, it, it sorted out some demons and some concerns that I was going to have. And, you know, I played to the end of the season and, and obviously... Uh, we won the, as you say, we won the league. I won the league comfortably without myself. I, I wasn't any bearing uh, thing on that that league matter, you know, because they were they were such a good team and such good players. Young Andy was coming through and that, but it was just it was nice. It was nice for me, and it couldn't have happened at a nicer club as well, you know. As Queens were special to me because I enjoyed the last two or three years, but I guess to come back at Livy and thankfully win it because it then didn't tarnish the possibly anything that I'd done beforehand. So it was, it was nice to come back. Yeah. Um, well, I mean, you sort of touched on it earlier when you mentioned the sort of difference between the first time you were at Livingston and the second. Um, I mean, 
it's amazing to think that there was actually only eight years between you leaving the club, finishing third in the SPL, <laughs> to you coming back and we were in the third division. Like, fair enough, it was because we were devoted because of financial issues. But how did it feel sort of walking through the doors at Ammonvale again? Not much has sort of changed in terms of like the layout or whatever of the club, but did it feel like a completely different club? I just walked in and said, the king is back, long live the king, yes, yeah, so that was it. So, uh, <laughs> I'm, jo- I'm joking. Uh, I guess, for me, it was easy because how could I, I couldn't lose. The fans were going to take to me straight away because here's Stevie Tosh coming back that, you know, played in the team that finished third, you know, and, and again, I guess it was lucky for me as well because it wasn't like my, my career had maybe diminished since I left Livingston. If anything, as you say, I'd, I'd went on and I still mm. played with Aberdeen, a couple of Scottish Cup finals, league winners with, like, say, uh, Gretna, etc. So it wasn't like the fans were probably thinking, well, we're getting a diddy back, you know. So, no, it was fine. You, you'd go in and, you know, we still had certain people at the football club that were still there through the office staff. Uh, you know, the fans were, people were eight years older, but there was still a, you know, a... a, a a lot of that, a lot of Livingston fans are still Livingston fans that probably when I was first playing at that time, you know, so obviously they're changed now, you know, there's the younger generation and stuff, but it was easy to come back. Bobo, as I say, was my roommate. I knew Big Scotty Parson. I played with Big Scotty at, at Gretna. Uh, the dressing room, Hammy, Robert, the vast majority would take to me, I'm the type of guy I am. There was a few that maybe their noses was put joining. The goalkeeper had a bit of chip on his shoulder. I think he thought he was uh, the top banana, uh, Mackenzie, but he got tell otherwise, you know. Uh, <laughs> so, you know, uh, but it was great because the younger generation were, they were wanting to learn and, were, you know, there was, there was, there was, it was great, the camaraderie. It wasn't the same camaraderie as when I was there the first time because that first time, we didn't hear very many young players. It was all, you know, their camaraderie the first time was great because the vast majority of us were all of that sort of mid to late 20s with wives and girlfriends and family and you created your camaraderie like that. Whereas if the next mm. time, it was great for me because I was at the twilight of my career. So playing with your Andes, David Sinclair's, uh, we had uh, Kami, forget young Kami's name that played at centre-back. You had the Jacobs brothers and that. So it was great. It was great seeing their enthusiasm and, and, and you know, and, and Maybe educate them a wee bit just to a wee bit show the will to win and, and you know, it was uh, it was it was just a, it was it was nice to come back. It was great to be part of it. Uh as I say, I'd like to think ninety percent, ninety-five percent were were happy. I dare say yeah, I was getting a couple of percent, five percent it was maybe it's their dress room and when you've got a larger than life character like myself coming in who, as I say, had history on his side, uh yeah, some folk didn't particularly, aren't particularly keen on that, but uh, we didn't fall out, we just didn't fall in. <laughs> <laughs> uh, well, I mean, you mentioned a few times your friendship with Gary Bolin being his roommate and stuff. We absolutely love Gary Bolin. Like, he's, he's, if we could all choose a person to have on, he's just such an elusive guy to get a hold of. So have you got any good... Gary Bolin stories from his playing days or his days as a manager have you got anything that you could share that wouldn't Listen, get him in trouble I know Bobo for when we were young guys and we both played he was at Dundee United and he was a top banana uh, when he were 14 we all played before the 
well played before the the UEFA Cup games, and uh, Bobo used to boot the ball. Bobo could boot the ball off uh, about fifty yards away and score because he kicked it high. And the goalies were that wee. So I know Bobo said I've been with Bobo when he's uh, broke his foot for kicking stuff and, <laughs> and stuff like that. I've got some. Yeah, Gary's Gary's brilliant. Usually I love him because if you tell him that you didn't love him, he would take every one of his at the same time out the back and thump every single <laughs> one of his. So he's a, he's an aggressive <laughs> man, but he's he's a great honestly he's he's a he's a great guy. He's a, yeah, me and him's always I think we we got on because we just we have a laugh, we say it as it is, but stories I've got about Gary, I can't tell you now. We 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 owned the horse together. We used to go you know, we used to go here, there, and everywhere, and, and watch your horse. It wasn't very good. It was, in fact, the horse was probably <laughs> as fast as me and Bobo. That's probably the best way to describe the horse. So, <laughs> but no, he's, he's you know, he, I, I hope he does. It's hard for him just now being the manager of Cape Beef, but fingers crossed, things will pick up after COVID. But Barry, Gary, you know, Bingy used to go golfing with Bingy. Now I've not heard from David for such a bit. I've not really seen him since the funeral. Elaine, it was a kit woman at. Uh, Livingston were across at a funeral, so I see we all drift apart, you know. Uh, I still keep in touch with Big Marv, Marv, Gary, and Barry are probably the three that I keep in touch with more than more than the rest. But no, Amazing. great times. I think Barry Wilson described Bolin as a guy who would kick his own gran, which I just found unbelievable. Tasmanian devil when it gets worse <laughs> with drink. Uh, there's only so many. I'll give you, I'll give you one story. We're out. We're out one time and uh, Christmas night at Socky Hall Street. I was out with Aberdeen. Bobo was there with Dundee United and St Murm were out. And the only reason I know St Murm were out was because I needed the, a help for a St Murm player to calm Gary down. Because we're sitting in this bar. He can't drink soup for the size of him. He can't drink soup, right? And he comes across and I'm sitting with a couple of Aberdeen boys and Scott Booth, who's one of the nicest guys you ever meet, Booth, so plausible. Scott Booth turns and says to Gary, Hi, hi, Gary, how's you? And Gary just, the eyes just went, he says, I fucking hate you. And I'm like, oh, no, no, no. And Booney thinks he's joking, and I know he's no joking. I know, and I'm like, Gary, come to doing my neck. I, I hate him. He's sitting next to me by this time. He's like, oh, I hate him. And I'm like, no. And I had to go and tap Big Mixu part of line him, because Mixu knows I'm well. I had to tap Big Mixu. I says, Mixu, you're going to need this as a favour, eh? Because... Booney's now trying to reason with Gary by saying, but Gary, you know, why Gary? And I'm like, no, just leave it. Just leave, just, just leave it, Booney. Don't say a thing. It's just making it. No, I'm not making it worse. I'm just trying to understand. I'm thinking, nah, because if, if Gary gets started, he's going to clear a room. Eh? See, then, see, later on, uh, about half an hour later, me and Mixer comes, I'm doing, we take some aside, we're sitting with a drink. He just starts laughing. He says, I didn't hate him. I'm like, oh, Poor Boothie's like that in the corner. Boothie's like, like a shit and dog. He couldn't have done nothing. But I, I think Boothie went him about half an hour later. So, <laughs> aye, someone is, he's someone is Gary. Oh. Yeah, we've had a few, few good nights out. Oh, that's amazing. Um, I mean, aye, so you, you said earlier that you didn't play a big role, but you did. You played a big role in us um, clinching the third division that year. Uh, but I remember there being like a, a series of games that we could have won it but for some reason it just didn't quite happen like I think we all we had to do was draw against Forfar and they beat us and then we had to win against Berwick away I think you scored a penalty that night actually and then we drew in the last minute uh, and then it came down to uh, Roddy McKenzie the 
the main banana for saving a last minute penalty kick to get the draw that we needed to get the the title over the line. But what was that like? Those sort of games that you were like, right, all we need is this, and then it just something would happen, and it just wasn't like happening. Did you think? Fuck, I don't know. I can't. I, I, can't, I, I couldn't remember. I, I, I can't even remember scoring as Berwick there. There you go. <laughs> I thought I don't score. I thought I'd only scored one goal when I come, but I, I remember the goal against Albion Rovers. I played a one-two in the edge of the box, but listen, it's, it's that side was the hardest bit. It was even recently mm. with Rangers. You know, the hardest bit side was just getting over the line. The easiest yeah. bit's getting there, you know, and and, that, and again, it, three champions are champions. You know, you, you again, it, I guess from a player's perspective, it doesn't matter when you win it, as long as you win it. It's normally fans that start to panic a lot more than the, the players. Uh because I guess you boys are, are are waiting for your championship party and every week, every week, every week, and then you think, oh no, what's happening? So I guess from a player's perspective, the bottom line is we got ourselves in a position because we're the best team in the league. Mm-hmm. You know, we knew we were the best team in the league, so we knew it was inevitable and it was going to happen at some point. It probably went on slightly longer than what we wanted to go on, but at the same time, I don't think we were ever, I don't think we were ever concerned Unfortunately, concerns, as I say, come from potentially the fans, at least to the sideline. The sideline leads on to the players, and the players then start to panic about each other and, and mistakes happen. You know, uh, I think, again, going back to uh, uh, the, the age level, taking out me, Robbie, uh, Roddy McKenzie, even, and uh, Jim Hart, when you take us out of the team, the age was really young. You know, with the mm-hmm. left back, Jason, Jason Talbot. Yeah. Was it yeah. Jason? Jason probably got sent off every week when we're trying to win it, right? And I've known Jason, but uh, it, you, you know, it's just it, it is. It's, it's these kids are the, the, that age. These kids, all they wanted to do, all they'd done was play football, and I guess we knew we'd get them there. Uh, I didn't realise it took so long. I just had this understanding in my head that we we won it probably with quite a bit to spare, and I can't even remember Roddy saying it, you know, and Roddy's a good lad, I'm only laughing and joking earlier on, but, you know, and, and, the, and I mean, he is a good lad, that just me and him are, are went a wee bit like that, that's what happens, but mm. uh, I didn't remember him saving, again, going back to that, didn't remember him saving the penalty or anything like that, I guess, selfishly, from my perspective, my thought was just all about getting games under my belt at that time and, and, and yeah, no games yeah. I knew was going to get me games the next season but just it allowed me to finish my career you know and, and it allowed me to finish again it allowed me to finish it with a, a winner's medal as well and I, as I say I, I, I maybe should have done my homework and realised but I, I didn't realise it took us so long I remember more I remember more truthfully about games in 2001 2002 Whatever, remember about the games with the third division, and that's no been any disrespect, disrespectful to when I came back or anything like that. I just think that, as I say, that I had an ulterior motive when I could not to get back, but when I was going to get yeah. game time. Uh, and and I guess I had, I guess your, your you know your brain tells you the better things in life, and I guess I remember a lot of the games within the, that period, as I say, the first period rather than the, rather than the second period. Just before we get your uh, five-a-side team, just got sort of one last question. You mentioned again that um, the squad was a mixture of experienced players like yourself, like Roddy, uh, Robbie Winters, Danny Griffin, and then had a mixture of young talent like Andy Halliday, 
Jacobs, uh, Rafa De Vita was that was probably his breakthrough season. Mark McNulty started to come through a wee bit. So, but was there any? Yeah, was there any player in particular that you enjoyed playing with that year, like young or experienced? Andy was daft as a brush, absolute daft as a brush. Fantastic guy, just brilliant. Used to go on to the training part, you know, and this is a this is a guy that's went on it, and you know, he's played at the highest level. And he used to call me Javi, and I had to call him Robin or something like that. He, he just made up names of the best players in the world, and that's who we were <laughs> that particular day. So you'd be walking across the training park, and he'd tap you on the shoulder, and his eye was running, running everywhere. Right, Javi, Javi, you're in my team today, and you're like, he's like, call me Argent, I'm going to be Argent Robin today. And he just, honestly, the boy was brilliant, just absolutely fantastic. And I tell you what I liked about Andy. Andy's adapted his game as he, he's got older and he reminds me a bit of Scott he reminds me a bit of Scott Brown and that you know and, and stuff but I loved Andy the first time when he was there because you could play Andy left back you could play him left midfield you could play him centre forward never ever did I see him going to be a, a centre midfielder but it just shows how his game's adapted you know you, you're talking Andy Halliday we'd play up front and you guarantee he goes uh, David Sinclair I like playing with young David because I like playing he was a young boy coming through in the middle of the park and probably didn't get as much game time as he deserved, probably mm. because boys like myself would maybe come back. Young Keegan Jacobs, who again, I expected actually to do better things. I'm actually surprised that he never went and achieved as much uh, as what I thought he potentially could have could have went and done. Uh, and McNulty, as you say, we Sparky, apart from being a Hibs fan, he was a good lad. <laughs> oh, amazing. Um, so yeah what we'll, we usually do is sort of finish up on uh, your dream five a side made up of ex Livy teammates so uh, uh, who have you got in your team and why uh, ok I guess this is a new one to me I guess goalkeeper so the goalkeepers I played with was uh, Neil Alexander we had Javier with Nick Culkin and I guess Roddy at the tail end. Uh, I need to go with Harvey. I need to go with Broto. You know, I think Neil Neil runs him really close. Uh, but I just think Broto had something about him. His delivery and his, you know, his technique. And again, I, I just like, I better watch what I'm going there. Is you know, it's probably going to be a Spanish five rather than anything else. So <laughs> you know, but I, I need. I, I probably. I think. I think Harvey would just would just pep uh, nearly nearly Alexander. But big big ego as well. So, but mm. no, ego never really played because it was uh, nearly was playing that year, and then nearly obviously left. I think he went to Cardiff, didn't he? And we brought in Broto, uh, Nick yeah. Culkin come up for you. So yeah, I'll go with Broto. Uh, I guess I better play. I better play my big car mate that. Must be due me a small fortune in petrol money. I'll play <laughs> Big Marv. Uh, you know, potentially the worst player ever on the ball. But you know, he's, nah. My, my, I joined Ray Rovers. Marvin had no long come across for Trinidad, uh, <laughs> and travelled with me. You know, travelled with me when we went to uh, Livy. Got him Queen of South later on my career. Uh, still speak to him. Yeah, still keep up with him. Yeah, still see him in Kirkcaldy. Great guy, great player, fantastic attitude, great teammate, uh, fans' favourite. 
you know, the size of him, you could, he's a bit of a colossus. So if I'm only playing one at a back and a five-a-side team, I think probably I need to be Marvin. Uh, and I guess, uh, you know, the rest are now difficult. Uh, <laughs> so I've got to go Barry. Barry's my best mate. Uh, so wait, no, wait, before, I, have you had Barry on this show? Yeah, yeah. What was Barry's five-a-side team? I don't think you were in it, so... Exactly. <laughs> he can absolutely lick it. He thinks he's getting a five or six team now. He can absolutely bite. In fact, I'm right on him after this. Do you know what I mean? Uh, uh, if I pick Barry and we're not going to get much defending, are we? Barry was funny. Barry just used to... Honestly, Barry, Barry would run up to me and during a game he'd say, the left back says he's going to kick me the next time I get out or somebody's just kicked me can you kick them back for me and I used to need, I, I used to go and do it that's what made it worse I used to make games with suspension and get fined for kicking Barry's but uh, <laughs> need, need, listen I, all joking aside I need to have Kino in it because I think Kino was probably the most technical player I've played with I need to have Fernandes in it because 100%. David just how can you not have David in it so I guess that leaves me with one other player. Wilson's out the team because he's a dick. Uh, <laughs> you were on his bench, I think. He said you'd be first sub. I, I remember I, him saying that. I, well, guess what? I'm not having any subs. Uh, <laughs> I guess, listen, uh, me, and the wee man's, me and the wee man fell out a few years ago and we've no spoke since, which isn't fan- fantastically great. Uh, and it's no nothing to do with this, but I, but, I guess Bingy, you know, me and Bingy were we were we were really close and 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 stuff and just certain things have happened within life, blah blah blah. But still, a, still a just a fantastic player, you know, an absolute fantastic player, joy to play with, nightmare to play against. Uh, you could play Bingy. I guess what Bingy, you know, Bingy's kind of like Barry, but Bingy would maybe be a wee bit more industrious. Uh, but Bitham could play middle, you know, they could play midfield, they could play up front. Mm. Uh, but no, I, I guess just for what he'd done at Livingston uh, and and what type of guy he is, I think my five would probably be Broto, Marvin, Kino, Bingy and Fernandez. Some team. That some is team some that. team, by the way. Hello and uh, welcome back to the uh, Scotland Football Forum uh, with myself, Ben Johnson. Uh, we're discussing the global climate crisis this evening on the show. And as always, we want to you guys to get in touch, yeah, uh, to tell us how that's going to affect the old firm. Uh, so we have we JP on the line. What do you want to say, JP? Hi, hey, hello. Hey, I'm a Celtic man, born and raised in uh, Edinburgh, just away from uh, Easter Road. The, climate, the the global climate crisis is all Rangers' fault because they died in 2012. <laughs> whoa, 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 whoa. We're only joshing with Don't adjust your transistor radio. It's us still. Don't you worry about that. Livingston's next game is against one half of the worst double act in the world after Ant and Deck Selick. We've asked the troops to tell us any of their favourite memories from games against Celtic for Livingston over the years. Povey, tell us your Celtic memory. I've got to go back to the, the you know, the first time we ever got a point against them. Just uh, that Broto save. You know, I, at the time, I had my eyes shut. 
didn't even see it happen. But uh, no, nah, I mean that that was outstanding. Henrik Larsson uh, getting a pen missing a penalty against us, and then us getting a point. That was just obviously the start of that season was just insane. And uh, yeah, so I wanted to just bring that one up first of all. Uh, another one that I've got a wee memory. Now I can't even remember what game it was, but it was when. Um, <laughs> and I, so the season when Bellamy, uh, Craig Bellamy was playing for Celtic, I just remember the chant in the South Stand where I sat, uh, soon this is right, Bellamy shout. And like, that was an absolute belter, that. <laughs> and like that was sung like the whole game. I can't even, we definitely lost that game, obviously. But... <laughs> he probably scored a hat trick, you know. I remember actually, sorry, I'm throwing another one. This just come to me, and one of you will probably talk about this. But like, we're four 0 down against Celtic. But I left at half time in a wee rager because I was like a wee like emo phase or something like that, you know. And I was like, oh, I was raging that we were four 0 down Celtic. But they missed us getting it back to four three. That was annoying. That Burton O'Brien like getting a hat trick or something like that. I wasn't there. I, it was, so. <laughs> I, I looked. I looked it up earlier. It was four two. But I remember that game, and I was Burton O'Brien got uh, both goals. But I remember that game because Celtic were four 0 up, as you said, at half time. Unbelievable Celtic team as well. I think it was the season after Larson had left, so they still had Sutton, Hearts, and uh, Neil Lennon was still playing. Petrov was still there, and uh, they got booed at full time. Because they won four, th- because we scored two goals, like their fans booed them off the pitch, and I remember like the the media, like our, our sports sound on the way home was like, oh, it's another disappointing result for <laughs> they fucking won four two, like we still they still won the game. How is this? Like I think it might have been Gordon Strachan's first season or something, but I I remember that game quite well. I do remember that one. Uh, Thomas, you said you had a good one, so tell us your Celtic memory. So, I I couldn't even tell you what game this is, but this is like a memory for me that sticks out among others as one of my f- happiest memories in football. So, a bit of backstory to this. I used to go to all the open days and stuff down at the club, as I'm sure we all did, got loads of the players' autographs, had my wee book, I've still got it today, got all the players' autographs, but my two favourite players of that 2001-2002 season, I never managed to get, and that is Javier sanchez Brotto and David Fernandez. So, it, we were playing Celtic at home, obviously didn't expect the result, it was the season that, that Fernandez and Brotto had left, I'm sure, so they were kind of sitting on the bench at Celtic. Or not even sitting on the bench. And my dad had got tickets for hospitality through his work. And that was kind of class. I wasn't going to that many games at that time. Um, and, you know, to go to a Celtic game, quite a, a big occasion, full stadium, blah, blah, blah. It was amazing. So I sit down, get our seats. We're sitting there. Pure buzzing. Um, but to watch the game. And then two... Spanish stallions walk along in front of me and sit down in the two chairs directly in front of me. Who were those men? Javier Sanchez Brotto and David Fernandez. 
I could I, I couldn't believe it. I couldn't believe my luck. It was just the best thing ever. I think Livingston probably got pumped that day, but I finally <laughs> managed to add the my, two of my favourite ever Livingston players, kind of especially from that era, to my lovely little autograph book. And they were so so lovely to me and so so nice. And they've got pride in place in that book now. Uh, I'll need to dig it out because it's it's fantastic, but. It just sticks out to me as such a, a cool memory and just lucky as well. They could have been sitting anywhere. Mm. If they'd sit another row forward or, you know, five or six seats over them, I probably wouldn't, one might not have realised and two wouldn't have had the kind of the balls to go and speak to them. Mm. Um, but it was just class, absolutely class. Good memory, good memory. I would get them to say my pits if I was seeing them now. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> Owen, what about yourself? I have been very lucky in terms of, I've seen Livingston do almost Everything. Everything and anything within Scottish football. I've seen us win a major trophy. I've seen every single winning game for winning every single division that we've ever won. I saw us clinch third place in the SPL. I've done it all. Apart from see Livingston beat Celtic. I was working on the day that we beat Celtic 2-0 and I thought, could have got the day off but no, I was like, nah, we're playing Celtic. Celtic are flying. They're on their way to nine in a row. What's the point in even trying to bother getting that day off? Sitting driving the 909 CityLink service to Glasgow. And I just, I, someone, uh, I think it was at Stirling bus station, I said, has anyone heard the Celtic score? They're 2-0 down to Livy. And I was like, what? And everyone thought, I was raging because everybody thought I was. I was like, no, I'm a, I'm a fucking Levy supporter, man. So I managed to secretly get my wireless earbuds and put a wireless earbud in my ear, put my hat over my ear, and I've got Sky Sports up on the thing with the, with the ticker, you know, the, the, the wee ticker thing, and I've got uh, off the ball, uh, sorry, not off the ball, uh, open all mics in my earphone. And I'm just, and I obviously I'd missed both goals. But then it's like, you know, Celtic, uh, Edward, oh, it's over the bar. Fucking Sarkic, save. Fucking, I was absolutely, so I get to Buchanan Street bus station just as the full-time whistle blew. And I went into RS McCall. I'm running about RS McCall. <laughs> fucking buying bottles of Fanta, fucking spraying them all over. Cause, oh, it was amazing. Absolutely amazing <laughs> feeling. And I wasn't even there, which uh, is so disappointing. Uh, but my second very quick memory of a, of a Livingston Celtic game that I was at wasn't even the full team. It was actually Livingston Reserves versus Celtic Reserves. The reason why I went to that game was because we just re-signed David Fernandez on loan from Celtic and his first game was for Livingston Reserves versus Celtic Reserves. I can remember there must have been about a thousand Livingston fans at this Livingston Reserve game the pop, the reaction that was given to David Fernandez when he came on as a sub was just amazing. It's a, it's a memory that I'll always remember. Uh, Jake, what about yourself? So I'm going to counter that and remember, I was going to mention about the reserve game, but if it's the same reserve game we're talking about, uh, Livingston actually won, and it was Pasquinelli's, uh, I think it was first game. Now, so I'm not sure if they were entirely the same game or not, I went to a reserve game against Celtic at Ammonville. The place was absolutely rocking. This new guy, Pasquinelli, comes in. 
Not sure if he scored a hat trick, but it was against a Celtic team that had like Didi Regat and had a lot of players that were awfully come back from injury. Bobby Petter were all playing. This team were no mugs, and we absolutely smoked them. And I remember Pasquinelli playing. That was the first time I saw him, and I was like, "Who is that beautiful man? And why has he not been playing? Where the fuck did he come from?" Um, so yeah, that was a really good. That was probably because we hadn't really hadn't won really against them. So that was kind of a good memory of that. Um, and what was my other memory? I think it was the it was the nil nil game. Um, I think it was I think it was last season, but it was Lucy's first uh, Livy game with me, and I was like, "Come come down and watch the go to the Celtic game. Like we might get pumped." And we played we played great. I mean, it was a pretty uneventful game, but I remember she was, we were sat right beside like all the kids. We could only get, we couldn't get seats anywhere near you guys who so were like right in like the A section with all these babies and we're just kind of like and you just hear like the Celtic fans are so close and they're so loud and so sectarianist. <laughs> and you've just got all these like <laughs> these wee kids beside you that know nothing. They're just kind of like, you know, <laughs> swearing at them and that. And it was it was great anyway. So we've not we've technically whenever Lucy's watched a Livy game at the Tony Mac, we've not lost. Uh, so uh, she's never allowed to come back, basically. Um, but yeah, nothing but good memories recently against Celtic. I stand up against you know how to play them. And so, aye, weekend's going to be interesting, but still kind of dreading at the same time. Yeah, no, I mean, that's, that's the thing. Like, a lot of the, the memories against Celtic recently have actually been all right. Uh, it was a game, it was a League Cup game at Celtic Park. I think uh, it must have been just before my birthday. I was either, I think I was turning 17 or 16. Anyway, um, but my dad sort of organised like a group of the boys to go. He drove us through um, to Celtic Park that night. I think it was me, I'm not entirely sure if my brother was there, but me, Ryan Barmanroy, Mark Stables, and I think Paul Hunter was there. And... um, we go we go to the game uneventful. It was uh, the Missoni years. I think Roddy McKenzie played, but the it was fucking Rocco Quinn played for Livy. Uh, that's Dave McKay, I think, was playing Murray Davidson. And um we got absolutely annihilated. I think it was five or six maybe. Uh, and we walked back to my my dad's car. He parked in this really off street of uh, Celtic Park. As we got closer to the car, we could see like there was stuff shining, like reflecting on the ground. Mm-hmm. Got closer, the passenger window, my dad's car had been smashed. Oh, for fuck's by sake. By a few bombs, right? And uh, my dad's like, fuck's sake. So he sort of drives to, to a garage and sort of clears everything up. And obviously, uh, we're having to sit. It was freezing. It was September, but it was, I remember it being absolutely freezing. Didn't have anything to tape up the window or anything or any bin bags to put against it. And um, so we're, we're driving home along the M8, dejected. My dad's fucking raging about the car. We're raging about the score. <laughs> we're getting, we get to have it Motherwell. And, and Mark Stables in the back of the car just leans forward for the middle seat. And just goes, John, I'm not being funny, but is there any chance you could roll the window up? <laughs> <laughs> and my dad, 
I thought my dad was going to crash the car on the hard shoulder. He was like, what? <laughs> I was like, Mark, the window's been smashed, man. Like, we spent about half an hour clearing it up. And he went, oh, right, aye, okay. Right, fair enough. <laughs> Just <laughs> Oh my god! Still to this day, I think I've I've told Mark that story, and I'm sure he's like, no, no, obviously I meant it, I meant it, eh? but no, I didn't. One hundred percent thought my dad just had the window down, bombing along the M8 at seventy mile an hour for a laugh, man. (laughs) No, that was that was my Celtic memory. So that's us for another week. Make sure you check out our socials for our very special guests that we will miss in the next couple of days another club legend. Also, if you have missed any of our other episodes, you can check them out now on all good streaming platforms. Thanks for listening. Forza Lovey, hashtag Lions in the Camp. See you next week. Fucking piece of shit.